Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth of PaleoParents.com. You might also know me as the broth lady or the inventor of the hashtag more vegetables than a vegetarian. I'm the co-author of several paleo cookbooks, including Eat Like a Dinosaur, Beyond Bacon, Real Like Paleo. I like to talk about health at any size and self-love and personal acceptance. Specifically, I have a love for lifting heavy things. If you're interested in finding more out about that, you can also find me on Strongly Radio. And I'm Dr. Sarah Valentine, the paleomom.com. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Approach and The Paleo Approach Cookbook. I'm passionate about nutrient density and the intersection of diet and lifestyle with health. Which really means I just love talking about science. News and views, where Sarah and I catch up and you get to listen to our gossip. It feels as though we just spoke yesterday. <laughs> I think it might feel that way because we did just speak. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to our listeners, um, if you listened last week and you, you know that uh, I have a beach trip planned for this week, uh, I had one of those months I was like, you know what would make my life a lot easier is if we actually pre-recorded an episode of this podcast before I head to the beach, I was just a little bit concerned that my hotel internet connection would not be up to the Skype recording. And then I didn't know exactly how, you know, how the sleeping arrangements would work, how the sound would be. I didn't want to be keeping my kids up at night if I was recording in the, the next room. So uh, Stacy very nicely agreed to um, record a little bit earlier than normal. So if anything super exciting happens in the world, we're going to feel like schmucks that we aren't able to address it. <laughs> uh, so but that... we'll, be, we'll, we'll have a lot to catch up on for your next right. week, but for us when we actually catch up. But I think it's, I'm, you know, we've been doing the show consistently, making sure that we have a new episode every week. It's important to us and... um think it's great when we're able to, you know, make you, it also fit our life so that you can enjoy your vacation and not have to worry about stuff. Do you know this is episode 190? We're, I mean, are we going to sure, do a 200? What are we going to do here? We're going to have to do something epic for two. I don't know what 200 is going to be yet, but we're going to have to do something. We've got <laughs> 10 weeks to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're going to have to do something. I think 200 is a big number. Yeah, that's like, and it's not like we're a three times a week podcast and they rack up really quickly, right? Yeah. Like this is, that that's telling you 200 weeks in a row, never missing a week of the Paleo View podcast. I just want to say, I don't, I don't know why we're so dedicated, but we are. And, um, you know, we, we very consistently get feedback from people that said, that say that they love that we have that consistency. So we're going to keep it up, but, um, yeah, it does, it does make for awkwardness during holidays and vacations. But look at us figuring out ahead of time and here we are, not much life updates. <laughs>
since it has been a little bit of a time warp for everybody else and a short amount of time for us, we were thinking maybe we would continue our women's health conversation with another question that was a little bit different in its type of topics. We didn't address it last night. Weak. Do you mean weak? I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I think this is a question that we went like, holy smokes, this, this question actually potentially deserves an, a greater amount of time because there's a lot of different moving pieces here. So, um, why don't, why don't we jump in? Do you want yeah, to do that? You're going you're gonna to have a lot of science on this one, so I think that's a, I think that's a good plan. So this question is from Philippa, and Philippa says, Hi, Sarah and Stacy. First, just let me say I love your show and hang out each week for the next episode. I have two questions. My first question is whether or not it's safe to eat AIP while pregnant. I ask because I recently read that pregnant women should not eat liver because of the high vitamin A content. Um, The website was the, uh, I don't actually know how to say that, Vicorian Governments. So I... Is that Vicorian? Do you know that word? I don't know that word. I'm I'm not familiar with that word. I'm going to pretend I know that word and I'm just going to say it. But it's betterhealth.vic.gov.au. So I'm sure it's like a place in... Yeah, exactly. I think Victoria is a region of... Maybe maybe it's a... Maybe just a T was missing there. Um, Second, I have been tracking my diet using chronometer and my daily vitamin A is always above 60,000 IU and sometimes reaches 100,000 IU. This is all from eating so many vegetables, but I'm wondering if these levels are too high and could also be dangerous in pregnancy. I am, I am really curious about your – well, first of all, I wouldn't be worried at all about eating AIP if we end up having a conversation about vitamin A and liver, which people have asked me about and I haven't had the technical scientific answer for. I would absolutely eat um, the way that I would normally eat or AIP if I were pregnant. Um, simply from the perspective we've talked about before with, um, Danielle on the show who has, um, an autoimmune condition that, you know, it ebbs and flows. And so for some women, it'll flare even more or some women, especially if they don't, um, eat according to what their body prefers, then, um, it'll flare right after pregnancy or after nursing, which is, um, after nursing was when I had my big flare. So I would absolutely think that you can adjust AIP to whatever your needs are. High carb, low carb, less vitamin A, um, you know, whatever. There's still a lot of good, healthy um, foods to eat in an autoimmune paleo protocol other than just liver. Um, Yeah, I actually kind of feel like it'll be easier to answer the basic whether or not AIP is safe during pregnancy question after we tackle the vitamin A specific part. Um, So I think it's really important to understand just how fundamental vitamin A is for health. So it's, you know, like everyone kind of knows, thanks to Bugs Bunny, uh, that vitamin A is good for eyesight. Um, But it's, it's profoundly important actually for the function of not just our eyes, but all barrier tissues. So skin health, lung health, uh, gut, gut barrier health, sinus health. It's um, a very, very important uh, vitamin for 
uh, hormones for fertility, for thyroid function, uh, completely, absolutely required for healthy bones um, and connective tissue. Uh, absolutely fundamental for the immune system, especially the regulatory pathways of the immune system. So a vitamin A deficiency, and the reason why vitamin A-rich foods like liver are included in the autoimmune protocol is because vitamin A deficiency has been linked to several uh, major autoimmune diseases, and it has is so fundamental for the immune system being able to know how to turn itself off. And during pregnancy, Vitamin A is actually really important for embryonic development. So vitamin A um, is essential for the development of the neural pathways between the brain and sensory organs um, and fundamental for development of the kidneys. And um, vitamin A deficiency has been associated with um, a reabsorption of the heart in the fetus um, and, and, and pregnancy loss. So um, vitamin A is really profoundly important nutrient. Um, but it's, I think it's really important to emphasize that there's animal form of vitamin A and plant form of vitamin A. So animal form is called retinoic acid or, or it's uh, retinoids. So it's a, a, a family of, of chemicals that all um, act very, very similarly. And this is what we find in things like liver, in seafood, in egg yolks, in um, the fat from grass-fed dairy, for example. And then there's carotenoids like beta-carotene. And this is a um, form of vitamin A that's in plant sources, especially plant sources with very rich orange and red and yellow colors. And carotenoids are very potent antioxidants and are definitely wonderful uh, nutrients in themselves, but only about three percent at best are converted into retinoic acid. So when you look at something like chronometer, chronometer is going to count a carotenoid exactly the same as it counts a retinoid. So like answer number one with this question is chronometer can be very misleading because it's assuming a hundred percent conversion even though that doesn't actually happen. So if you're getting that vitamin A in the form of carotenoids, um, it, the, the issue is sort of already by itself moot. But the other thing with vitamin A is there's this whole thing about pregnant women limiting consumption. That comes from um, a study that was done, uh, I think in like, I think it was like 1992-ish, um, in which they gave a synthetic form of vitamin A and um, showed that it caused neural tube defects, sort of similar to uh, folate deficiency. And um, from there, it was basically integrated into the recommendations to avoid vitamin A. Now, that um, study has since been followed up um, with many other studies that don't corroborate that. So, um, it, it's interesting because um, there's a really strong interplay in the human body between vitamin A and vitamin D. So they basically antagonize each other. They compete for the same receptors. And we know that um, vitamin A in, uh, or excessive dietary vitamin A in the context of vitamin D deficiency is very, very different than vitamin A in the context of vitamin D sufficiency. So this might be where the difference lies in these, in these studies. 
but there was a study done in 1999 that um, looked at vitamin A consumption in women and um, the rate of congenital malformations like neural tube defects and showed no link with vitamin A. And they had their, the mothers enrolled in that study were consuming an average of 50,000 IU of vitamin A per day with some participants consuming as much as 300,000 IU with no birth defects in uh, their babies. And um, when you look at like what from Weston A. Price's work looking at hunter-gatherers, 50,000 IU of vitamin A per day of animal form vitamin A is pretty consistently seen in hunter-gatherer populations. So this may be a question of, you know, vitamin A itself is not a problem here, but it really is important to have vitamin D levels tested and see what vitamin D is doing because when vitamin D is not there to compete with vitamin A for receptor binding, that's when vitamin A can be toxic. What's really important to remember too is that's why food sources are so important because food sources of vitamin A almost always tend to be also food sources of vitamin D. And that might also be the major difference between these studies. Um, You know, the one study looked at women's natural vitamin A intake from diet, whereas the other one gave them synthetic form vitamin A as a supplement. So there's no vitamin D added So they're giving a lot of vitamin A and not addressing vitamin D compared to when you get, when you get vitamin A from food, foods like liver and seafood and pasteurized egg and pasteurized dairy that are really great vitamin A, retinoic acid um, containing foods, they also all have vitamin D in them. So, you know, the research really doesn't support um, being concerned about that level of intake from uh, high-quality whole foods. Um, And certainly with chronometer, I think that um, it's really misrepresenting probably the amount of vitamin A that that Philippa is getting. Um, But I understand, you know, how easy it is to be you know, they, there's so much, there's so much scare stuff happening with pregnancies, right? Like this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but I, you know, when I was pregnant with my first, I mean, one of the very first things I was given was this list of foods not to eat, right? Because, uh, you know, like undercooked eggs was on there because getting salmonella in the first trimester, you know, and, and being violently ill can be a problem. And, um, I think what, it's hard for women to differentiate the things that are on that list, right? So getting a parasite when you're pregnant, super, super bad. Um, A lot of types of food poisoning while you're pregnant, super, super bad. Um, But a lot of other things are on those lists. Like um, I think it's been, um, it's been recently changed, but when I was pregnant, I was also told to limit my fish consumption because of uh, the methylmercury in fish. And, And meanwhile, we now know that the selenium content in fish stops that, mercury from being absorbed and actually protects you against mercury exposure from other places in your life. So seafood is a phenomenally important food. And we know that the fats in seafood are some of the most important fats for for embryonic development. So there's some things here that are shifting in terms of recommendations. I I will say between the time that I had Cole and between the time that I had Wesley, that recommendation was changed. Like I was told to have no more than I think three servings of tuna a week, but that other fish was okay. Like even then, whether or not, you know, the mercury selenium balance really is a concern or not, 
Like, that's a completely different perspective than don't eat fish, you know, than to, like, hey, be aware that large fish has a higher content of mercury and don't, like, completely overdo it. So, and that was almost, that was six years ago, you know, so I, I can only hope that it's progressed further and widespread at this point. One of the things that I was told um, that I think was in part because I had midwife care for both of my pregnancies was that, you know, not all fish is the same. Uh, you know, things like swordfish is the worst, and there's other kinds of fish that are not bad at all, which was a great thing for me to know. And that it's the cumulative exposure of the entire pregnancy. So um, don't worry if you have a high week, which was really good for me to know because in my second pregnancy, I went through an entire month where all I wanted to eat was fish sandwiches. And <laughs> I can totally see that. <laughs> it was it was just so I never really had like weird cravings, but I I still had like cravings. They were for mostly normal foods. Like I didn't want to put pickles and ice cream together or anything like that. But in both of my pregnancies, I remember my first pregnancy, I went through like a cottage cheese phase. And it's weird to me that I'm talking about foods that I know now that I am like horribly sensitive to. But there must have been some nutrient in those foods that my body really recognized that I needed at the time. Um, but yeah, I, that's, that's, um, I, so I would have like both my pregnancies, I had aversions, one to uh, broccoli and the other one to green beans. Um, and then both my pregnancies, I'd have these, like, I have to eat this all the time, every meal, three meals a day for a month, for a month. And then, nope, I never, I never want to eat that thing again. Thank you very much. Um, I, I guess that's kind of a normal, did you, did you have those kind of like oh, yeah, totally. cravings and aversions? And each kid, I can tell you exactly which ones they were. Well, to me, it's, it's fascinating knowing how many of the cravings I had were foods that I can't eat now that like, yeah. I was like a dairy hoarder. Everything needed dairy, like all the dairy and dairy was what led me <clears throat> to paleo to begin with because I was so sensitive to it. So that's fascinating. Well, yeah. So with my first pregnancy, I I was like, I just wanted to eat cottage cheese. It's all I wanted to eat. Like it wasn't all of it wasn't just any dairy. It was cottage cheese, plain, like just that's. And, I, and people would like look. I'd have this like full tub of cottage cheese for my lunch at work, <laughs> and people would be like, Is "That really all you're eating?" I'm like it's what I want. What am I? What am I going to do? Because if I don't eat what I want, I'm going to be, like, angry at everybody. And <laughs> nobody wants an angry pregnant person. So, um, yeah, that's... I uh, can imagine that cottage cheese would be really good with kelp salt. I mean, I haven't had cottage cheese because it's not something I have a desire. Have you seen the, the recipes for... Don't, don't you have, like, a guest post on your site? I do. That's, uh, but that's cottage not, cheese. I mean, it's. Not, I'm saying I haven't had cottage cheese in, like, forever. And I can imagine I, like you just imagined myself like hunched over an entire <laughs> quart size container with a soup size spoon like leave me alone and I because I used to just like it with um salt and pepper on it and I was like I bet they I mean kelp salt can transform anything it's amazing stuff kelp salt is pretty amazing I also like um kombu salt have you seen kombu salt no it's um changing habits does one that's a Himalayan pink salt with kombu flakes in it and it's delightful. So let me ask you a question about vitamin A. Yes, please. Okay. I sent you a link, which I know that you did not have in advance. 
Thanks for um, putting me on the spot. It's no big. It's no big deal. I I love to see you like your brain explode. Um, it happens. Anyway, so um, the link that I sent you is for an article that I found um, about consumption of polar bear liver um, causing severe illness. So I wondered if we could talk a little bit about when a food contains a high amount of vitamin A, for example, she was talking about getting already a lot from vegetables or in this instance, polar bear liver, because you had said that the science of the studies had previously retracted. And when you're talking about synergy, it's different. But for example, here's a whole food source, a polar bear liver. If you're a guy in Alaska and you eat a polar bear liver, according to this article, you're going to get all kinds of problems. So, yeah, so this is really interesting. So my um, my uncle used to hunt and fill our freezer when I was growing up with uh, wild game. And um, he usually hunted um, caribou, but every once in a while, so he lived, he lived out in the middle of, I mean, he was an hour's drive to the tiny little town. So he was really in the middle of nowhere. And um, he was like a groundskeeper at this like random middle of nowhere estate, at, like for a recluse. And um, if a bear would decide that it was going to live on the front porch, like the solution was to shoot the bear. But then, you know, we don't waste things. So um, he would take the bear to be butchered and then we would get all the meat. So, A, I just want people to know bear meat is really gamey. And, um, B, <laughs> just, probably just really, especially if it's like an old bear living on your porch. It's like random old bear living on the porch. Um, so that's, I mean, but I think it's just really important for people to know. Um, <laughs> just in case they come across it in their like everyday life. Nuisance bear. Absolutely. It was, and with a hunting license. So we'll just, you know, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure. We're not sure going off on tangents at all tonight. 20, Five years ago. Um, no, there's no tangents whatsoever. Um, but we never ate the liver because of vitamin A toxicity. Toxicity, And so even as a kid, you know, we were told, like, that the vitamin A content of um, bear liver is so much higher than the liver from other animals that it can be a problem. And I think what the, you know, what's interesting to me is um, traditional hunter-gatherers, if you look at the Eskimo or Inuit diet, they don't eat a ton of bear. It's not um, the, the the most frequent thing that they hunt. Um, but if they have the opportunity to eat bear, they like they do with everything else they hunt. They eat the whole animal. So what's interesting to me is you're talking about a um, group of people who, you know, hunter-gatherers, right? So they're outside so much more than we are. And they have diets that are ridiculously rich in seafood. And so um I'm I don't know what the cusp of you know vitamin D level in your body would have to be in order to make bear liver a safe choice. Um and I definitely think that there's enough um there's there's enough science to support that that, that vitamin A it's like it's a whole different a whole different level compared to beef liver amounts. I I'm actually wanted to look it up. So here's some fun numbers. So uh, beef liver, which I think is the liver that, that most of us would eat, a three-ounce serving of beef liver 
has 22,000 IUs of vitamin A. So, you know, even to hit that 50,000 point, which is typical for hunter-gatherers, you're talking about eating like six ounces of beef liver a day. I mean, there's other vitamin A sources, but I mean, have basically what I'm trying to say is eating liver every day is is uh, still going to probably, depending on your other food choices, keep you well in a good range. Polar bear liver in three ounces has 300,000 IU and up to 800,000 IU of vitamin A. So we're talking about uh, like a, at least 12 times as much vitamin A. Um, it makes it such a different, like it, it's just not comparable. Um, and part of why is that uh, polar bears are, um, they're omnivores, but their their diet is very carnivorous. We don't eat carnivores like there's there's you know we're not designed to di to um digest like or like handle the nutrient profile of, of carnivore if you think about all of the meat that we eat we've got some omnivores in the sense that chickens are omnivores and pigs are omnivores we eat a lot of herbivores right we eat beef lamb bison you know like our our, our normal meats tend to fall under those lines we're, we're not eating Typically, cat. we don't eat very much cat or lion. Um, and I don't know if I don't know if lion liver is also super high in uh, vitamin A. That's not uh, information that's in my brain because it's not a question in Trivial Pursuit. But um, but it is you know we're suddenly well, talking. But about seal liver is also noted in this toxicity article that I read, and seals are also carnivores, so that makes sense. So um, it's called um, biomagnification. So it, it happens with, you know, it's known to happen with toxins. It's why eating big fish, those big fish tend to have more mercury, although a lot of them still also have tons of selenium and are absolutely fine. But it's why when you see a list of fish that are warning fish like um, swordfish, they're, they're really big fish and they're carnivorous fish. Um, and it's because of this buildup of... Uh, toxins, but we also see this in some nutrients that um, the higher you up are up in the food chain, the more you actually uh, need those nutrients in order to say, you know, it's in the liver because it's used for um, for uh, detoxification. So when you're eating a, a diet that requires more detoxification, you've got more more things available stored in your liver to do that. So that's one of the reasons why uh, liver of higher up in the food chain animals can be crazy nutrient dense. Um, so, you know, I don't want to say that it's on the, the off, off list. I would just be very, very careful about the amount that we're eating. Um, and I would probably say that 800,000 IUs of vitamin A in polar bear liver might be going a little bit excessive, but it's also a really interesting like focus in on where the vitamin D content becomes really important, why, where the vitamin K2 content becomes really important and the overall nutrient density of the diet and stress level and sleep. And there's this fantastic interaction between um, our lifestyle, right? And how much stress we're under 
and how well our immune systems are regulated because we're getting enough sleep um, and how regulated our hormones are because we have a nutrient-dense diet. Um, these things all feed into how our bodies even respond to you know, it would be a stressor, right? It would be a stressor to have an unusually high amount of one nutrient and not have all the synergistic nutrients in our diet. And so um, in contemporary Western societies, we're not resilient to that kind of thing. It, I mean, we just aren't. We have way too much stress. We're not getting enough sleep. We're too sedentary and we try to make up for it with, um, you know, an hour at the gym. And then um, we're we're really, even within the paleo community, we really have to be very, very mindful to get um, 100% of our RDA of all of the nutrients. And that's even just looking at the RDA. I mean, there's a lot of experts out there now that are saying that the RDA is a gross underestimate of what we actually need to be optimally healthy. It's sort of a minimum amount that you need to not be sick due to deficiency, which is very, very different than saying how much you need to be optimally healthy. So I do want to mention that I'm like super excited that Philippa is actually tracking her micronutrients with chronometer. I love chronometer. I use it myself. And one of the reasons why I like it is because it gives you a breakdown of all of the essential vitamins and minerals, fiber, um, all the different amino acids, and you can actually go in and see um, at least an estimate, right? It's never going to be exactly right. Um, most of the foods in there are uh, conventionally grown in the database. So it, it doesn't, doesn't underestimate if you're eating a lot of locally grown and um, you know, grass-fed, high-quality, organic-type type foods. But um, I still think that it's phenomenally useful as a, um, a way of tracking, uh, tracking micronutrient intake. You like my fitness pal, fitness, my fitness pal? Yeah, but I talked before about how it's, it's not, I mean, about half the things that I put in have the actual micronutrients. micronutrients entered. It has a place for them. It's just a matter of like if someone created that original food without the micronutrients, then if you select that food, then it won't give you the credits for the micronutrients. So just be aware if that's yeah. something you're using. It happens with chronometer too. I don't think it's as much as half the time, but you know, it does, it does happen there too, where you kind yeah. of go like, wait a minute, which one of these seven different options for the exact same food? <laughs> actually has accurate micronutrient. Exactly. Data. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what happens on my fitness pal. Um, so let's go back to that initial part of Philippa's question, which was, is the autoimmune protocol safe to eat while pregnant? Do you want to, do you want to guess what I'm going to say? Um, I'm a hundred percent positive that you're going to say that you wished that you had been on the autoimmune protocol when you were pregnant. Or at least a, um, modified autoimmune protocol. Yeah. I think that, you know, I've done reintroductions now and I know that this level of reintroductions, because my autoimmune diseases went into remission during my pregnancies and then flared upon birth and weaning for both of my girls. So um, when autoimmune diseases do that, um, you know, it's a nice opportunity to reintroduce some foods like um, pasture-raised eggs, like um, grass-fed ghee, like chocolate, you know, these... Um, these foods that have, you know, a lot of nutrients to, to offer us that, especially things like ghee and eggs, which um, are mostly problematic from an immune tolerance perspective. I mean, egg whites have um, a lysozyme in them, which uh, can help other things enter the body that you can have an immune reaction to. But um, in pregnancy, if you are lucky enough to be 
um, having a pregnancy where your autoimmune disease is in remission, I think it's an opportunity to to enjoy a little bit more of a relaxed approach to food while still maintaining that really important nutrient focus in the autoimmune protocol. But even if you're a person who is, uh, you know, autoimmune diseases tend to either go into remission or flare during pregnancy. They do one of those two things. Um, so even if you're the uh, latter, the autoimmune protocol is designed to be, um, it, you know, the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, right? It's complete and balanced nutrition um, with that focus on organ meat and seafood and lots and lots of vegetables and including some starchy and some star- non-starchy vegetables and some fruit. And so there's nothing that you're missing out. So that's, I think, the most important thing, right, is it's a diet that, um, you know, some people will accidentally implement in a way that's not enough calories. So make sure you're not doing that. Um, make sure you're getting enough carbohydrates. So find those non-starchy sources of carbohydrates that are, you know, AIP friendly, like plantains and cassava and sweet potatoes. And um, and I think that, um, you know, it's it's an approach that that is super nutrient dense. You're, you're eating more of all the things that your baby needs to grow. And then don't forget that it's also really important to manage stress and really important to be active and really important to get enough sleep. And those are all wrapped into the autoimmune protocol. Um, and yet because the diet requires um, so much intention, we can get over-focused on the food choices and kind of forget about the lifestyle stuff, but they all are part of the AIP. So what would you say to someone, and I've been asked this before, who wants to know how much vitamin A they should be mindful of when pregnant? So what um, the Weston A. Price Foundation, who I generally think are a pretty savvy resource when it comes to things like this, um, they recommend, um, I believe it's um, uh, between um, 20,000 and 50,000 IU a day. Yeah. So where this woman is saying she's getting 60 to 100,000. Yeah. So keep in mind that she's using chronometer and she's stating that it's mostly coming from vegetables. So what Weston Price Foundation recommends is 20,000 to 50,000 from animal sources. So we're, we're really only converting about three, 3% of carotenoids into retinoic acid. So that probably means that if Philippa is getting all of this vitamin A from things like carrots and, and squash um, and beets that she's totally in a good place right now. I think that's a great distinction. Um, And, you know, there's definitely room for the meat consumption to eat moderate amounts of organ meat if, you know, she can figure that out in her plans. Because while bare liver is not recommended, (laughs) there are still you know, amazing tons of nutrients in liver. And so it's, it's not just vitamin A, we consume it for a variety of reasons. And I know that personally 
eating liver is like medicine for my body. And when I don't feel well, especially if I'm down in energy, the, the B12 for a pregnant woman, I can imagine, I'm no scientific expert um, or a doctor, I would imagine that that would be great. So it's just a matter of, you know, everyone needing to find a balance for themselves. And if you're at all worried, get your vitamin D levels checked. Yeah, that's a, a simple, inexpensive blood test. Um, most, even conventional health care providers, will order it. Um, and it should be uh, so, what's lab range is I think is like 30 to 100, but it really should be sort of 50 to 70. I think somewhere hovering around high 50s is basically considered optimal. So, um, you know, go have it checked. It's, it's, it's an easy test to do. And if you're deficient, address it. You can try addressing it with food and outside time, um, but it's one of those cases where, you know, it, our modern lives are really at odds with all of the things that we normally do to get more vitamin D. And I think a vitamin D3 supplement is certainly the most expedited way to address a vitamin D deficiency. Um, and then what happens is a lot of people will do like a therapeutic dose of vitamin D3 for a while, retest, and once they get their vitamin D levels dialed in, then they'll figure out what dose of vitamin D3 they need to maintain a healthy level in their blood. Um, and then, you know, my, my doctor retests me every three months. Awesome. Well, thank you to everyone for joining in. We'll have something other than women's health for you next week. Sarah, have a fantastic vacation. I'm excited. And I will catch up with you in like the warp situation. I'm making I'm making the uh wavy arms for you. Totally. Yeah. Well, once again everyone, thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.